So when we're in Luke chapter 22, I want to talk to you about the death and the burial of the Messiah. See, next week is Resurrection Sunday, and I'm quite serious. It is not Easter. And I know the world has relabeled Christmas to Xmas, and they worship and honor Santa instead of Jesus. And so the world also took over Resurrection Sunday. They relabeled it Easter. We're going to stay with the Bible term, and next week is the celebration of the fact that he's alive. I mean, every Sunday we do that. This is the Lord's Day because on the first day of the week, he's alive. So, um, but we're going to go back a little bit and look at the death of Jesus and his burial. And the question is, how can that be good news? So we're going to go through two chapters here, kind of swiftly but effectively. Chapter 22, verse 1. We're in Passover week here. Verse 1 and 2 says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. The chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him. Here's a religious celebration and some religious leaders are wanting to murder somebody. Isn't that kind of a strange contradiction? I thought religion was supposed to make better people out of us. So it says, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill Jesus, for they feared the people. So they had to find a way to kill him without upsetting the people, because he's very popular, obviously. Look down to verse 7. <clears throat> then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. Now the Passover was a celebration of the Jews at this time of year, in spring, uh, remembering God freeing this entire nation that had been slaves for several hundred years, freeing them from the power of Pharaoh in Egypt. And Pharaoh had, a, had an unbreakable grip. Nobody defeated Pharaoh and the Egyptian army, the Egyptian government. And yet, here comes this guy out of the wilderness with a stick in his hand. And he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh laughs and says, get back to work. But God intervenes. It wasn't Moses that freed them. It wasn't a stick that did the miracles. It was God who freed a nation of people who were slaves. They had nothing except God. So they now how God did it was he first brought a, um, uh, brought a, a, a condemnation universal across the entire land of Egypt. Everybody was facing the potential to die. It was the final of ten plagues where an angel of death was going to move throughout the entire land of Egypt and there was only one way out and that was through a lamb. In order for no one to die in the Jewish homes, God instructed every believer to mark the doorposts of their homes with the blood of a substitute lamb, a sacrificial lamb. So that when God saw this blood on the doorway, and I want you to notice, he was supposed to hit the two side posts and the lintel, supposed to strike that, the blood of that lamb that had died. They were going to eat it, yes, and all this. But he was going to strike it there three times. Kind of a unique picture of the cross there, if you can see the, the crisscross. And as that blood was put on there, it says that when God would pass over that home, he would let them live, hence the name Passover. It's interesting to see that at this time, uh, uh, that the modern, uh, the, the chief priests, we would compare them to the modern bishops, were in this, in this celebration of God's deliverance, they were thinking of killing. Now, there's a battle that's, that's taking place. You've got to understand when you come to the Bible, this is not a story, this is a war. And as we get into this, there's something going on often behind the scenes, and it's about to go deep. Verse, um, verse 39. Jump down to verse 39. Still in chapter 22. Verse, verse 32-39. And he, Jesus, came out and went as he was wont. And that's an older word. It means as he was normal. As it was what he wanted to do. To the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place... Anybody know what place he's at? He's at a garden. When he's at the place, um, he said unto them, pray that ye enter not in temptation. What is he inviting them to do? He has led his disciples to the garden of Gethsemane, and he says, guys, we need to pray. Verse 41. And he was withdrawn. 
So he steps away from them, about a stone's cast, maybe 10 meters, I don't know, 20 meters. And he kneeled down and he prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. There appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. So the longer he prayed, he wasn't more tired. He was more earnest, more passionate as he prayed. And his sweat, as it were, was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So the capillaries in his forehead and, and possibly in other areas of his body began to burst. And where it would normally be sweat, there was blood mixed in with it. Falling down to the ground, verse 45. And when he arose from prayer and he was come to disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. So there's a spiritual blanket that had just caused them to just quit. They were all very sad for some reason. It was a spiritual sadness, verse 46. And he said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. So I want you to understand, he led his disciples into Gethsemane to pray. Um, he didn't uh, get them together to strategize, to gather an army. He got them together to pray. When you're experiencing intense stress yourself and when you're struggling with life itself, what do you normally do? I know what the doctors tell you to do. I know what the counselors tell you to do. I know what the media tells you to do. I know what, what uh, Guinness would tell you to do. But the Bible says that's when you need to get on your face before God and say, God help me. There's a battle raging and I'm not ready. So the crucifixion actually begins in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is where the battle is going to begin. Um, this is, this is uh, Jesus battling every temptation to quit. He's battling against all of hell and the demonic powers and even Satan himself coming against him. He's about to battle the wrath of God. And Jesus, at that time, made time to pray. That is our example. Unfortunately, none of his followers helped him pray. They all passed out. But Jesus was going to fight this war anyway, and he started it with prayer. Look at verse 47 now. Down to verse 47, there's a betrayal. While he yet spake, behold, a multitude they appear out of nowhere, and he that was called Judas, Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, one of Jesus' own men, hand-chosen, personally trained, Judas, one of the twelve, went before them, he was leading them, and drew near unto Jesus to what? You want to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? So Judas is, he brings a mob, all right? I mean, wow. Does Jesus look that threatening? Do his disciples walk around that threatening? And yet Judas has gone and has, has brought a mob with soldiers and men and, and, and clubs and sticks and weapons, and they've surrounded Jesus and they capture him. It's dark. There's no street lights. There's no torches, maybe on the men, but they can't tell. There's a small group of shadows in the, the Garden of Gethsemane. How do you know which one's Jesus? Well, Judas says, I'll tell you. And he goes up and he sees, and then he reaches out and he kisses Jesus on the cheek. He says, this is the one. And what does Jesus say? You betray me with a kiss? What a betrayal. You know, He's betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, 30 silver coins. It's just a couple of hundred euros in value. Small coins, made of silver, yes, but it's not a lot of value. How much is Jesus worth? You know, if you got, a, if you got an opportunity to spend your hours and work on Sunday, you probably would take it because Jesus isn't worth that much to you. You know, if you got, if you got a good-paying job and you're busy and you're dealing with stress there, you definitely... It's worth getting that extra money than reading your Bible in the morning. What is Jesus worth? To Judas, just 30 small coins. How would it feel to be Jesus at that moment? Somebody betraying you with a kiss. 
So he's turned over to a mob of men who are set on killing him. In verse 49, uh, you have to admit, uh, watch what happens here. When they which were about him, about Jesus, saw what would follow, they said to him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? They said, can we fight? One of them. Now, you know who the one is, don't you? Now, Luke is being very nice. He's not actually naming him at this point, okay? But one of them, and it's Peter, swings and he misses the head, but he clips the ear and he smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. He's basically saying, Don't go any further. And he touched his ear and he did what? I mean, that must have, I, I, I would have freaked out and said, forget it, I'm not staying with... Jesus just healed a guy's ear that had been cut off. And then Jesus said unto the chief priests and the captains of the temple and, to, uh, and the elders which were come to him, be come out as against a thief with swords and staves, we'd say sticks. When I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hands against me, but this is your hour. And the hour and the power of darkness. Go to, oh, while I'm talking for, well, hold your place for a second. Let me just say, how would we have reacted just like Peter did? If somebody provokes us, if somebody threatens us, how do we react? In kind, don't we? Somebody just verbally or physically comes against us, back we go in the same anger, if not more. That's what Peter's doing. No, I like Peter. I'd like to have Peter as my best friend. He'd protect me, amen? <laughs> you don't say something against a pastor, off with your head. I mean, that's my friend, amen? <laughs> I want two of those. <laughs> but Jesus says, no, there's a better way to deal with this kind of a fight. It's not a time for fighting. Uh, Jesus shows us a better way. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Remember, it's Peter that tries to fight and Jesus stops him and says, put the sword away. Go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 19. We'll come back to Luke, so don't lose your place there. But 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 19. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 19. Remember, who's writing the book of 1 Peter? Thank you. <laughs> Who tried to strike off the head of one of the servants of the high priest? Peter. So Peter's going to teach us something that he had to learn. It didn't come natural. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. For this is thankworthy. This is worth being thanked for. Watch it. If a man for conscience toward God endure what? Okay, that's only the beginning. What's the next words? suffering wrongfully. Was Jesus about to suffer wrongfully? Mm -mm. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted, that means beat up for your faults. What glory is it if you take it patiently? If you've done wrong and somebody rebukes you, take it patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, Ye take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. <clears throat> For even here in two where ye called, we've all been commanded because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow, in his, follow his steps, who did no sin. He did no sin, neither was guile, deceiving, lying, found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, he yelled back not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. Hey, question. Could Jesus have just said something and all of those people just die right on the spot? And yet he threatened not. What did he do? He committed himself to him that judges righteously. He said, I'm going to give this situation to God. Jesus shows us the most powerful way to react to an unjust treatment is number one is to know the will of God. Is Jesus in the middle of the will of God? Yes or no? Yes. There are times when you need to decide, am I in the middle of the will of God and yet I'm suffering? Yes. Good. Then step one, I know I'm in the will of God. Number two, yield to it. You don't have to fight it. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to yell at it and, 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 and demand your rights and push 
for your freedom, you're supposed to stop and go, I will yield. I will commit this to God and God will deal with this situation. Let it play out. You have no idea what God's going to do. And then thirdly, make sure you stay at it even though you're suffering. There, listen, in this room, there are Christians who get hurt, even by other Christians. And we won't, we won't allow ourselves to suffer. And the Lord says, put up with it. Because you committed it to God's care, not yours. The most powerful Christian does not usually fight. They just do the right thing and they suffer for it. And you say, that's unbelievable. Yes, that's Christianity. And that's Christianity we've forgotten about. That's the Christianity is the hardest way to live. Now he gets abandoned by his friends, Luke 22, look at verse 54 now. I mean, these are, it's, it's okay to be abandoned by your enemies. It's not so okay when they're your best friends. Look at Luke 22, verse 54. Then they took him. Now these are the men who had gathered around Jesus to take him captive. <clears throat> they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter follows afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid held, beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, Hey, this man also was with Jesus. And he, Peter, denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. I don't, I don't know who that guy is. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of an hour, of one hour after, another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he yet spake, the cock crew. It's already coming up four or five in the morning. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. I mean, everybody heard him. Peter wasn't whispering. Peter said it loud enough for Jesus to hear because he's just inside a courtyard. He said it loud enough for those Sadducees and the Pharisees and the chief priests and those religious leaders. He said it loud enough and they all knew that's Peter and Peter says, I do not know the man! And Peter remembered the word of the Lord how he had said unto him before the cock crows. Thou shalt deny me not once, not twice, but thrice, three times. And Peter went out and he wept bitterly. Now my question is, where are Jesus' friends at this point? All of the disciples have run away. Matthew 25 says <clears throat> that uh, all the disciples forsook Jesus and fled, except for two. So when they see Jesus hand himself over and, and be bound with ropes and dragged away, his disciples say, we're next, and they run away. So Peter and John, however, the only two that stay behind, and it's just kind of funny, John never says a word. All the way through for the next two chapters, you never find John speaking up for Jesus, standing for Jesus. He never says a word. It's not always the best kind of friend. And then Peter does worse, doesn't he? He denies ever knowing who Jesus is. And according to Matthew, it says he curses his very name. He says, I don't know how you want to say it, but he cursed the name Jesus so that they would go, I guess he's not with that Jesus. Can you imagine? First it was Judas, then almost all his apostles, and now Peter has abandoned him. I have to say this. Look at Peter, the, the last verse in verse uh, 62, the last part of verse 62, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. Folks, there is no joy in denying Jesus. If you're saved, don't you ever think when, the, when you're at, at work and you're uh, uh, getting a cup of coffee or you're having your lunch and somebody says, are you a Christian? And I'm not saying it nicely. Let me tell you, if you ever second guess and go, oh, no, there's no joy in that. There, listen, just they, the world knows if you're saved, they know you're different. Just admit it. Just own up to it. Just rejoice in it. Yes, I know him. I love him. I wish you knew him. There's no joy in denying Jesus. None of his apostles ever looked back on these moments and go, we were okay. No, they all with grief wept at how weak and how wimpy they were. And how ashamed they were. But the crucifixion has only just begun. Look in verse 63. Still in chapter 22, verse 63, the men that held Jesus mocked him. Remember, they got a hold of him. They tied him up and they 
smote him. When they had, um, when they had bound, sorry, and when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and they asked him, saying, "Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? <laughs> You're blindfolded. Who hit you?" And many other things blasphemy spake they against him. Now, folks, it's Wednesday morning before dawn. It's not Friday. Don't listen. You can't get three days and three nights from Friday to Sunday. Okay, just believe me. It's Wednesday morning. It's before dawn. The cock has just started crowing because the dawn is not up. And Jesus is being passed back and forth between two religious leaders of the day, two high priests, one guy named Caiaphas, the other guy named Annas. And each time that they interrogate him, each time they ask him questions, they have men beside him who are beating him in order to get him to finally give up and just agree. It's called coercion. And it's illegal. Most of the laws that we have today, the right to remain silent, the right to fair and proper uh, uh, access to legal advice, the, the right to be uh, safe from, uh, from, from violence when you're even in custody, came from the crucifixion because it was unjust how they treated an innocent man. And when you have a court system like we barely have today where you are innocent until proven guilty, it's because of the scriptures. Do not think this world can figure out how to do better justice. They have right justice now because they learned from the abuse of justice here in the cross, at the cross. Caiaphas, two religious leaders, taking advantage of a man in, in uh, ropes and, and in, in bonds and, and being mocked and being hit time after time after time to wear him down. Hours and hours of interrogations, followed by beatings. Remember, Jesus is no one defending him. There's no one standing beside him. His disciples have fled. Peter was heard by everyone in that court denying that he even knew who Jesus was. How would you like your wife going, I don't know that guy. How would you like that? How would you like your kids? You show up at school and your child just walks right by and says, isn't that your dad? No, that's not my dad. How would you feel? And there's Jesus being forced to stand in front of these men, bloodied and bruised. And he's condemned to death, verse 63. <clears throat> and the men that held Jesus mocked him. Oh, uh, 66. Verse 66, it should say. As soon as it was day, the elders of the people and the chief priests and the scribes came together and they led him unto their council, saying, Art thou the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Tell us. And I like how he responds. He says, If I tell you, ye will not believe. And if I also ask you, you will not answer me, nor let me go. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. Now, he just used some key words that every one of those men knew. The Son of Man was the word for the Messiah, prophesied in Daniel and Ezekiel. And sitting at the right hand of the power of God is a place no human can ever dare claim. And yet here's this man saying, that's where I'll be sitting judging Verse 70, then said they all, Art thou then the Son of God? And he said to them, You say that I am. You tell me. And they said, What need we any further witness? For we ourselves have heard of his own mouth. At this point, Jesus is condemned to death. There's no turning back. His crime is not that, that he committed murder, not that he lied on his tax form. It's because he healed lepers. Because he blind people were given sight. He fed 5,000 hungry people, not once but twice. Once five and once another time 4,000. He, he's being criminalized because he walked on water. And he forgave an adulteress. Can you imagine the crimes that Jesus was accused of and guilty of? These accusations were constant against Jesus. And as you saw, Jesus admits, yes, I am the Messiah. I am the one you're looking for. And you know what they said? You're not the one we want. A couple of us were out yesterday going door to door, just talking to people, handing out gospel tracts. And you know, it's down to what do you want? Do you want the Savior that God has supplied or are you going to look for another? 
It's up to you. Do you even know what you're looking for in a, in a Messiah, in a Savior, in somebody who can, can reach into your life and into your heart and actually transform your life? Those religious people, those Pharisees, they did not want Jesus. And most of the world doesn't either. But it doesn't change who he was. Pilate now gets to meet him. Chapter 23, verse 1 says, And the whole multitude of them arose, and they led him unto Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, the king. A king. Now, Pilate, just for time, is not threatened. Keep going there in verse uh, 3. And Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou a king of the art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, Thou sayest it, you tell me. Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. Wow, an honest politician. <laughs> Rare. So I don't see any fault. And that's an that's an almost listen, if the government wanted to find something on you, it can. Amen. If the guard will pull you over, they will find something wrong with your car, right? And give you a ticket. They don't waste their time chasing after innocent people. They're going to find something wrong with you. And Pilate says, I find no fault in this man. Pretty cool. Then it comes on there in verse um, uh, 5. And they were the more fierce, saying, obviously, if you get louder, it's more true, right? Learn that when you're arguing, folks. <clears throat> When they were the more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to his place. They stir up riots. He stirs up riots. And when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the men were Galilean. And as soon as he knew that, he, that he belonged in the Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, passing him off, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. And if you know anything about it, back and forth, he goes now to Herod and then back to Pilate and Herod can find nothing wrong. But remember, every time he's appearing in court, he is being gut-punched. He is being punched in his jaw. He is being tripped and thrown to the ground. He is always being treated worse than a dog. You know why? To get him to just confess. Just get it over with. Just accept it and we'll set you free. And so back and forth. And Herod's men, they let loose on Jesus. We won't even have the time to read about it as you or to go on from verse 8 on. But I want you to run down to verse 18. Well, let me go back to verse 13. 13. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, he said unto them, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverted the people. Behold, I have examined him before you and have found no fault in this man touching those things. Whereof ye accuse him? No, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him, I'm going to beat him one more time, <laughs> and release him. For of necessity he must release one unto the people at the feast. Every He had this thing that he did, he says, I'll release one of my prisoners, one of you Jews that's in my prison, I'll release out of kindness of my heart. Verse 18, and they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, release unto us Barabbas. Now who's Barabbas? Verse 19, who for a certain sedition, he's trying to overthrow the Romans, made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. Now what did the people just choose? Pilate has said, this Jesus guy, he's innocent. Listen, I'll, uh, I'm, I, I, he's... I know he's in my custody, but I'm going to let go somebody. And instead of them saying, yeah, let him go, they asked for a murderer. They asked for Barabbas, who was a very dangerous man. The streets wouldn't be. Listen, if this guy's trying to start riots and trying to overthrow the Roman government, the Romans would come in and burn down an entire section of the city. People would be hurt. This, this man was dangerous, and they said, we want Barabbas. And sometimes choices we make are not our own. They're spiritual and they're from the devil. The mob wins. Look at verse 20. Pilate therefore willing to release Jesus spake again to them. He's trying to reason with this mob but they cried saying, crucify him. What? Oh, why don't you let me chastise him? Why don't you let me just, just rough him up a little bit more and then we'll let him. No, I want, we want him dead. 
crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, Why? What evil hath he done? I found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. The voices of them and the chief priests prevailed. Did you notice that? Mob rule? So did you give in to the screamers? The government does. You know what the government worries about? Popular vote. Doesn't matter whether things are right or wrong. It matters where, well, what does the people think? Yeah, I understand all that, but look what the people thought here. Verse 24. That's why we're not a rule of democracy, folks. Ireland is called the Republic of Ireland, isn't it? That means our country is supposed to be based upon laws that whether you're Taoiseach or Tiny Tim, we all have the same law over us. Amen? We're a republic. And here, the mob is going to decide justice. Watch what it says. Verse 24, And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required, whatever they want. And he released unto them him that for, for sedition and murder was cast into prison, as Barabbas, whom they had desired, but he delivered Jesus to their will. So off goes Jesus, verse 32. Verse 32 and 33 are some of the shortest verses because they cannot, they are, words cannot describe the crucifixion. Verse 32. There are also two other malefactors, we'd say criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, where they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Did you see how briefly that went across that? What are we talking about? And they crucified him. Those four words try to describe the indescribable. From this moment, the soldiers are now going to take him and tie him and suspend him where his feet are tied together and held to a stone and so that he is stretched up and they begin to weep him, whip him. They whip him as if he was the worst criminal ever, tearing flesh off with every stroke. They spit upon him constantly like he's a, like he's a dog, a dead dog. They rip the beard off of his face. They slam a crown of thorns upon his head, driving it deeper and deeper with every strike of a rod. They then would parade Jesus around like a piñata to be beaten and punched and kicked by every soldier in the fortress. And then he was forced to carry his own cross about 500 meters out through the south gate of Jerusalem up to a hill called Golgotha, the place of death, the place of a skull. It's also known as Calvary. You'll notice a lot of churches are called Calvary for this reason. And then he was laid down on that cross and with his hands... Jesus did not resist. All the other criminals would fight and say, no, no, you're not going to nail my hand. And he laid his hand out in both directions. And those soldiers, as stunned as they were, began to drive those nails through the toughest parts of your body, these tendons right here, all the way into the wood. And then they would take his feet and place them one over the other and drive an extra long stake through both of his feet into the wood. And that entire frame of a cross with a man hanging on it was then dragged to a hole in the ground about two feet deep and would be dropped into that hole. And then every, because of the stress of the pain that he was in and every muscle pulling when that uh, cross dropped to the bottom, every bone came out of joint. And he hung there. If you've ever had your shoulder pulled out, that's just one bone. Let's put every bone out of joint. Every muscle screaming in agony. And there they left him to die. But you know what? Nobody's taken Jesus' life from him. He says, no man takes my life. I'll lay it down freely. He's not finished yet. He's got, he actually has seven things he's going to say. I'm only going to talk about four real quick. Look back there, look in verse 20, look at verse 34, if I can find the right place. Notice the first thing he says in the middle of all that pain. Then said Jesus, Father, kill them all. That's what I would say. But that's, I'm not Jesus. I've got to be more like Jesus, don't I, Mr. Weston? Father! Now, I don't know how he said it because he's in agony. He has not had anything to drink for over 16 hours. 
He has not been allowed to rest. He has been beaten and whipped. He is in, at the end physically, and there he is speaking through swollen lips, through a mouth that has been punched time after time. It's bloodied and swollen. His tongue is swollen, and he cries out, and he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Those are probably the most powerful words ever spoken. To ask God to forgive the ones who just crucified you. To actually want that and not just say it. Jesus asked God not to forgive good people but the worst of people. Aren't you glad? He asked God to forgive the very people who had lied about him and hated him and spit upon him and beat him and whipped him and crucified him. And he said, please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Next, he speaks to a man next to him, verse 39. He says to a man, even you are forgiven. Look in verse 39. One of the malefactors, these criminals, which was hanged, railed on him, saying, if thou be Christ... Save thyself and us. If you really are the Messiah, I wish you get us down from here. But the other, now there are two men, one on each side. One demands Jesus to free him. Listen to the other. The other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God? Seeing thou art in the same condemnation, guy, we're about to die. We're guilty, verse 41, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. You know what repentance is? That is repentance. Admitting to God, I'm wrong. I don't deserve heaven. I'm not good enough. I, must, I, I, I deserve what I get, both in life and in death. But listen to him finish his saying. We indeed justly. But this man, still in 4 verse 41, this, this hanging flesh, this man hath done nothing amiss. He's done nothing wrong. And he said it to Jesus, Lord. Now, Jesus doesn't look like a Lord, doesn't he? Doesn't look like a king, does he? Doesn't look like somebody in control, does he? And he says, Lord. And by the way, the new Bibles get rid of that word. Yeah. You say, well, I like the new Bibles. Yeah, well, they edit some things. So, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Says Jesus, I, I don't understand. I don't, I, I don't believe what I see. You are the Messiah. You're going into a kingdom. Can you get me in? <laughs> Listen to his next words, verse 43. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee today, <laughs> Thou shalt be with me in paradise. We're not, going, we're not going to the grave. Our bodies will, but you're going to be with me in paradise. You know what he's, he, he just said, Father, forgive those who just put me on this cross. And now he said to this man next to him, he says, and you are forgiven now too. Why was he forgiven? Because he asked, because he said, Lord, I'm wrong. This other guy, he, he just wants your, your power. He just wants you to set him free to go back as he was. I just, I, I deserve what I get. I'm going to die, but I'd like to go to where you are. Folks, let me ask you, if you died tonight, where would you go? Amen. It ought to be that quick. Don't you dare go. I'm not sure. If you're not sure, then you need to admit it. Yeah. And be able to say, Jesus, I need you to tell me even I am forgiven. Because that's some good news that anybody can be. And you don't have, notice, this man has nothing to offer, does he? He can't get down and get baptized, can he? He can't get to church. He can't join the church. He, can't get, he doesn't have two pennies. He's got nothing except a, a surrendered faith Jesus, you're king. And if, if you could get me into your kingdom, I sure would like it. And Jesus says, you're in. You're forgiven too. Isn't that awesome? Third thing he says, verse 44. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. Now I need you to go to Matthew 27 and see what actually he says there. Luke doesn't record it, but Matthew does. And I think it's important for you to see. Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 46. That sun has gone dark 
And during that darkness, there's not a sound. Nobody moves because it is a darkness that could be felt. And if, you, if you've ever been in one of these caves, you know, they have the Alley Cave and different caves and stuff. Sometimes they're really, I like the kind of cave tour guides that flip the lights off. And then you realize how dark it is 150 feet down in the earth. There's no lights, no nothing. You're not moving, are you? You're not going to try to find your way out. You're going to stand there. And when God turns the light off while his son is on that cross, writhing in anguish and pain, during that darkness, nobody moves. And Jesus doesn't say a word. But during that time, he is suffering for my sin and your sin. And then at the end of that, at the ninth hour, look at verse 46. After three hours of darkness, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I don't know if you understand this, but when you come and you look at the cross and you see how cruel, how unjust, how awful it is, I want you to understand, the, the, the statement is, the question is, why would he do that? He died under the wrath of God so that I wouldn't have to. And he died under the extreme wrath of God so that the worst of us don't have to. Amen? You say, why couldn't he just be slapped on the back of the wrist? Why couldn't he just be chastised? Because there, are, there is such wickedness in the, in the human heart. There is such a record of our crimes, not against God, but against each other that we know about. Who's going to pay? God himself became a man so that he could pay. And when he was on that cross, guess who gets forsaken? Not me, but Jesus. And God walks away and turns his back and lets his son die. I mean, he was alone in the garden, wasn't he? He was alone when his disciples ran away. He was alone throughout this. Now he's absolutely alone. Even his father forsakes him. Then he says one more thing. Go to John chapter 19. Gospel of John chapter 19. John chapter 19 verse 28. Again, remember, while you're going to John chapter 19, in order for Jesus to speak, hanging on the cross was a, not something that was designed to kill somebody. It was designed to torture them and to let people live for three days hanging on the cross. In absolute agony. Sometimes it would go that long. Most times people would die within 24 hours. But Jesus was so beat up, so whipped, so abused. And when he had to breathe, when you're on the cross, what has to happen is you have to pull yourself up in order to get lung, air into your lungs. You have to pull yourself up on the nails that are sticking through your wrists. You are pulling against those tendons, the the nerve that goes right through there is one of the most sensitive nerves. The pain that he was experiencing would be like hell on earth. And as he pulls himself up just to get a breath, his back is rubbing against the back of the cross and is digging deeper into his back. As he pulls himself up and he sneaks a deep breath and he speaks, listen to his final words, verse 28. John chapter 19, verse 28. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, and you need to underline that, now everything has been done. That the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I'm thirsty, <laughs> I thirst. Now there was no water there, but there was a vessel set full of vinegar. And if you've ever been thirsty, vinegar doesn't help at all. But they kind of said, well, let's give them some of this. And they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon a hyssop, on a, a stick, and they put it up to his mouth, and when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. Did you see that? Now I think his mouth was so dry, it was almost impossible for him to actually, so he had to have some sort of liquid, so he got vinegar, which would have burned every sore. It would have just stung like nobody's business. This is vinegar. And he cries out, It is finished. Now, those are his final words. After 16 hours of impossible agony, he proclaims victory. He says, job done. It's not his life was finished, but everything that he needed to do to save a wretch like you and me was done. 
And the Bible says God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now you know how powerful that is. He was for us. You know what everybody wants today? Everybody wants God to do something for them. Give me a wife. Give me a, give me a job. Give me a house. Um, give me a better job. Um, give me a bigger TV. God, would you, would you just, you know, um, give me this, give me this, give me this. Do you know what God gave you? His son. And if he doesn't answer any more of your prayers than that, you're a blessed person. Amen? Last point, verse 23. And by the way, how much does eternal life cost? That. That's what it cost. We, to us, Weston, you're right, it cost us nothing. But look at what it cost God. Verse 23. I'm sorry, back to Luke chapter 23, verse 50. And behold... There was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and just, he was a right guy, right kind of guy. Verse 51, the same had not consented unto the counsel of the deeds of them. He hadn't agreed with any of this happening. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. He believed what Jesus preached. Verse 52, this man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. He took it down and wrapped it in linen, laid it in a sepulcher. Sepulchre is an old word for tomb. That was hewn in stone where never man before was laid. And that day was the preparation of the Sabbath drew on, Sabbath being the Passover. And the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after and beheld the sepulchre and how the body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. Jesus was buried. Death. It's such a final event. And, and if there's anything more final than death, it's burial. And Jesus is placed in a hole. He's thrown in a hole on the side of a hill, and then it's sealed shut. They actually put four Roman soldiers armed with swords on the outside of that thing, not to keep them in, but to keep anybody out to say, nobody's going to steal this body, and there they are. I mean, what a final statement of the defeat of Jesus. Because at this moment, at verse 56, no one believes in Jesus. Why should they? He's dead now. He's totally defeated. He's been totally rejected. Nobody wanted him now. Everybody went home. They didn't stay there saying, oh, I know he's going to come up. No, they went home. What do you do? I mean, it's final. <laughs> so you might ask, how could this be any good news at all? I mean, wasn't Jesus rejected? Yes, by almost everybody. Wasn't he despised? Definitely. Wasn't he crucified? Yep. Wasn't he dead? Very dead. Wasn't he buried and sealed in a tomb? How can that be any good? Well, the truth is... You haven't read the end of the story, have you? You know, it's your Bible doesn't end there in verse 56, does it? There's another chapter in there. Hmm. When Jesus died, God went... He started a timer. Maybe at an hour class, I don't know. <laughs> three days and three nights were going to pass. And then on Sunday morning, the whole world would never be the same. Amen? You see, if you want eternal life, Jesus just paid for it there. There is nothing more for any one of us to do. Everything is finished. You say, I can't keep the law. Amen. That's great. Jesus kept it for you. I'm too sick. I'm in the hospital. I can't get baptized. That's fine. Jesus was baptized for you. Well, I can't pray myself out of a paper bag. That's okay. Jesus can pray just fine. And he's praying right now for you. Jesus completely paid for your and my forgiveness, and he offers it to us, man. I mean, I'm not a Jew. I'm not even trying to be good. I'm just a sinner. I struggle just to, just to know what is right or wrong. And here I find out somebody who is right died for the wrong and loves me and wants me and says, now follow me. He offers you the very same forgiveness that he offered to those who crucified him because that's the kind of Savior he is.
no better name than the name Jesus. I know, I know. You say, I know all this. Do you? It ought to show. It ought, it ought to be evident that you're living that new life he purchased for you. I should never have to beg for anybody to care about souls and go soul winning. I shouldn't beg. Come back tonight. Do this for the Lord. Let's, let's take care of our missionaries. Let's do we should just go, the Lord gave me a second chance. He gave me my life that I have now. I don't deserve anything. And here I am. I'm alive and well. I got family. I'm blessed. And I'm in a church that preaches the Bible. How can I ask for more? God, use me. And if I suffer doing it, hallelujah. That's the Christian life. Would you stand with me in bound prayer? Heavenly Father, <clears throat> the cross, the tomb. It's two parts of a three-part story. And the best is yet to come. Wow, didn't we need to see this? Because the resurrection has no meaning until we realize what came to pass, what all happened leading up to the cross, and how final it was, and how victorious and how powerful Sunday would be. So Lord, thrill our hearts that we don't we don't celebrate Easter. We couldn't care less about a stupid pregnant bunny. <coughs> Lord, we want to worship a living Savior, somebody who proved that he is God. He took our sin. He took the wrath of God. Didn't fight, didn't strike back, didn't resist. Out of love. There is no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends, and that's what you did. And if there's anybody in this room, and I would say there probably is, who have just kept you at arm's distance, who just tolerated you, Father, who have just analyzed and decided, no, no, no. I pray that they realize the side that they're on is that side of that mob that rejected Jesus and wanted him dead. Now, the disciples were not much better. Wouldn't it be great if there was somebody in this room who'd say, I've had enough of wrong decisions and being on the wrong side. I'd like to follow Jesus today. I'd like to be passionate about a living Savior. I'm going to follow him. I'm trusting him now.